Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Wow, this is wild. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, And let's give it up for our worship team. You guys are incredible. It's wild how God just orchestrates things. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I get to, to live with Deshaun, and, uh, and he was telling me the, the set list, and I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, this is going to be perfect. Like, you have no idea. But uh, one of the things that we'll talk about tonight, uh, I love the, in, in the song, Peter, Abba Father, Abba Father. He says, you called my name and made me worthy, or you call me worthy. But the... Everything that we're going to talk about tonight is, I mean, it's all reflected around. It's only Jesus that makes us worthy. We can't work our way to the top. We can't say the right words, do the right things. I guess just Jesus. So thank you, band. We will have you back towards the end. Um, Thank you all. You may have your seats. Um, I would be amiss if I didn't uh, give honor where honor is due. First and foremost, our senior pastors, Pastors Jurgen and Leanne. Like, and truthfully, I could spend a whole 30-minute slot, 45-minute slot, hour slot just talking about all the reasons why I'm grateful for our senior pastors, all the reasons why I'm grateful for you, Pastor John and Pastor Becky. Um, but there are some, some people in the room, whether I see where they're at or not, I'm looking, uh, that I do want to give honor outside of that realm first uh, and foremost, Josh and Annika Aguirre, they, um, they're a huge part of... My story, uh, getting involved with Awaken Theater, um, which, by the way, shameless plug, we now have summer classes rolling out at the end of this month, where Annika will be, will be teaching some classes. I get to teach some classes. Uh, it's going to be awesome, so sign up, awakentheater.com. That's theater with E-R, not R-E. For those of you that are actual thespians and know how to spell it, it's the wrong way, okay? Theater with an E-R. But, yeah, we're all wondering... Um, but I want to thank in a very broad sense, my friends and my family here in San Diego, my parents, I believe are watching. They're the ones in Wyoming. Uh, but they, on behalf of my parents, and I mean this, like they've told me to say this before many times, thank your family in San Diego. They've changed our lives. So thank you. But last, uh, last thing, uh, Alex and Caleb, thank you guys. You guys are my best friends. You guys have been with me through all the things we're going to talk about tonight. And uh, like, I quite literally would not be here in San Diego or sometimes on the planet, you know, without them. <laughs> so let's dive in. Uh, I, got to, I got to experience Israel, which was wild. And I'm not going to really, I'm not going to like be one of those guys that came back with this revelation from the Lord about Israel or from Israel, the Holy Land, though it was awesome. And if you have the opportunity to go, take it. It is, the, it is a life-changing experience. But one of the places that I think I loved the most um, outside of the Garden of Gethsemane, because I want to talk about everything, um, we got to experience the upper room. Yeah. 
And when we think of the upper room, most of us, if you're like me, you think, oh, that's where they waited for the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, to come after Jesus had been resurrected and ascended back into heaven. And that's 100% true. It was amazing. We had the most like holy worship moment in that space. It was like, it was beautiful. Um, but one of the things that also happened in that same room, a place of great beauty where the Holy Spirit was like, like literally, like a, like a rushing wind came in and swept the place. In that same room was the same room where they had their last supper. So it's a place of great beauty, but in, depending on your perspective of great brokenness. And, but there's, there's a little, there's a scripture in John chapter 13, I'm going to read for you. And it's what preceded what went before the last supper. And it goes like this. It says, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all, or yeah, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power, and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin. He began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. And then He came to Simon. <laughs> he washed, oh sorry, He washed His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around Him. Then He came to Simon, Simon Peter, and then He said to him, "This is what Peter said." Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. And classic Peter, Peter's like, no, no, you're never going to wash my feet. I'm like, bro, dude, you literally got rebuked, like about, like, get behind me, Satan, and everything. But Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Peter replies, he goes, well, then not just my feet, wash my hands, wash my head as well, wash all of me. And then Jesus responds and he says, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body's clean and you were clean. He said, though not every one of you. Now, at this point, I'm going to cease with that story and we're going to dive a little bit into my own, but we'll come back to this because it'll, it'll make sense towards the end. Um, so I am born from a small town in Montana. Uh, it's kind of, I, I feel like I was always born from the country, but for the beach, because I really love it. <laughs> I like a good tan, you know, Israel was good to me. But uh, growing up in this small town, we went to a, we went to a church in my hometown, uh, a church that I, gr I grew up in until I was about 11 years old. But I've been saved since I was six years old. I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was eight. So I have no idea what it's like to not live with the Holy Spirit. Like I've very little recollection of what it's like. So growing up, uh, life was good. We, you know, typical small town kids, we were raised um, outside of my grandpa's farm, so we spent a lot of time out there, just me and my two brothers and my mom and my dad. Um, but eventually, things happened. We moved away from my hometown to uh, Wyoming, and uh, my parents went through a divorce, and the three of us boys all handled it in, in different ways. Like one of my brothers shut off emotionally completely. The other one um, couldn't rein in his emotions. And I was somewhere in the middle, being the middle child. I'm just like, all right, well, it looks like I'm just going to make people laugh and life is going to be good. And I was, I was a good kid. I was respectful. I was kind. I was funny. Um, like I had a, a great personality and, every, and all that kind of stuff. And it served me really well. But, you know, as life went on, you know, about the age of 17, that's when I decided, like church no longer became a thing once parents were divorced. It was like, we went for a little bit and then just stopped completely. So we all kind of went our own way, did our thing. Um, I was 17 when I started partying with my friends, and I was like, okay, this is kind of cool. But at age 19, I was like diving into all of it. I'm like, let's do what we, let's see what we can't do, you know? Uh, and so 
life got pretty crazy for a while, but I had like no goals, no ambition. I like wanted to do everything. Uh, and so I was like, I didn't even like, y'all, I slept on applying for any colleges and I was I, like, I had opportunities. I even had like people like scouts coming to me for, for certain things. And, and I just slept on all of it. So I was like, no direction. So age 20, I was like, well, age 19, I was like, okay, well, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to go back to Montana and work for my uncle who used to be a youth, a youth pastor. So yikes. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to get sucked in. Age 20, I got sucked in again. I reconnected with God and my life started to, to change. So age 20, I went to a Bible school uh, where I met Alex and, and Caleb. If you don't know, they're right over there. Um, but that's where I met like the best friends that I ever have. And that was like the best it was, it was the best years of my life. So the first two years, I grew spiritually. I, I experienced so many amazing things, but somewhere between, you ever find yourself at a place in your life where you're like, how in the world did I get here? Those were my, that was, that was the year for me. I was 22, and I found myself in, tang, entangled in, in a relationship with a, a married woman um, that was part of my, my leadership uh, is actually my, my pastor's wife, and everything just tanked, like bad. The, the hard part, amongst so many things, was I was trusted by this family. Um, I was trusted in their ministry. Um, I had been given so much grace and love uh, and honor, and then to just tank it. Uh, I lied to friends. I lied to I lied to these two guys just to cover things up. And one of the things that I realized is you can't cover sin with more sin. You just dive deeper and deeper into that into that hole. But I got to the point where I was so like I it, it was it was it was it was so tough. I was telling a friend today. I was like, look, I I got to the point where I knew what I was doing and I didn't want to do it, but I didn't want to stop either. And and I got to the point where I was like, God, like you have to get me caught or I am. I'm in, I'm in deep trouble. I'm never going to stop. And lo and behold, God answers prayers. <laughs> but we were caught, and that relationship with that family went really dark really quick. And I, it was in the middle of, you know, our, how is their relationship going to be? What's this ministry going to do? Um, the, the man who, who was the a spiritual father to me was the founder of the ministry that I was a part of. And then he, he finds out and he loved me through it all. And like, I couldn't wrap my mind around that, but it got to a point where I was, I was caught up in my stuff. I didn't want to stop. And I was like, God, I've got it. I've got to get out of here. So I removed myself from the situation because I, I knew what I wanted and I didn't want to stop, but I knew I had to. And, and I was in such torment guilt, shame, like I felt like I just torn the ministry that built me to pieces. The man who was a spiritual father to me, I, I betrayed his trust. I betrayed, he always said, he goes, it takes a lifetime to build integrity. It takes a moment to lose it. And I was living in that moment. So I ended up leaving this ministry, going back to Montana to work uh, for my uncle. And I literally found myself living like the world's worst Hallmark movie. I was living in a camper in the dead of winter in the middle of Montana. Uh, I was working on a house with my uncle. And when he didn't have work for me, I'd be out clearing pasture for my, for my grandpa. And so 
I got to the point where um, I was so riddled with guilt, shame. I was confused because I, I was like, I, like I, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I still want it, and I don't, I don't understand. There was a point right before I had left, I was um, in my car, and I was driving on a road in Louisiana uh, in a 40-mile-an-hour zone. I was going 80 in, the, in like a pouring rain, and I just I had enough. I was like, I'm done with it. I'm so, I can't do it anymore, and so I was driving, and I gripped the steering wheel, getting ready, and I thought to myself, I was like, I don't have to be crazy or possessed to do this. Like, it's simple. I just pull the wheel, gravity takes, does the rest, and like, that's it. I don't have to worry about it. I, I love Jesus. He's my savior. I'm going to be in heaven. It's fine, and I gripped the wheel, and right as I get ready to pull it over, uh, I heard this voice. Like, it was almost tangible, like, so resounding inside me. It said, pull over, and I'm, like, bawling my eyes out, and I start hitting the steering wheel. I'm like, ah! And I pull the car over, and I remember just bawling my eyes out, and the only thing I could think to, to say was, Jesus, please take me back. Jesus, please take me back. I felt so far from God because of what I was doing and what I wanted. Jesus, please take me back. And I kid you not, in that moment, it felt like someone reached behind, from behind my seat, gave me a hug, and I heard that same voice that told me to pull over that resounded so loud, said, I never let you go. And so shortly after, I, I find myself back in Montana, and when you betray all of your friends and you lie to everybody in your life, you find that you have nobody left when you are at your lowest point. So I'm working in Montana, clearing pasture for my, uh, for my grandpa, and the only person that I had to talk to was Jesus. And so like, I hit rock bottom, realizing, thank God, Jesus was the rock at my bottom. Like, seriously, thank God. <laughs> But at that point, I had a, I had a trip planned to, um, to meet up with my buddy Alex, who lives in San Diego, and, and I'm in Montana. And his friend, our mutual friend now, um, purchased a ticket for me from Texas because I was in Louisiana before that. And so I had no choice. I was like, okay, well, looks like I'm going to drive down to Texas so I can catch a flight to go visit my buddy because I needed somebody. And he was the, he, at that point, he was the only one that I was kind of talking to. I needed somebody. Oh my gosh, did I need somebody? And so before I leave, I talked to my uncle and I, I halfway confess what I was, where I was at and what I was doing. And he looked at me and this is where I learned the very first lesson. Oh, by the way, this message is entitled, He Washed My Feet Too. But he taught me the, the first lesson on my road of redemption, a very important piece of my life. He said, Christian, you can't expect to take authority over your life until you learn to take responsibility for it. And there's two ways that we can take that. Number one, like you have to take, you have to be willing to take responsibility for not the mistakes you've made, okay? A mistake is like you're writing and you accidentally write fire truck instead, instead of, of forgiven because you have to write a sentence a hundred times over at three o'clock in the morning. Those guys would understand, you might not. A mistake is your doing something you spill over the cup right next to you. We make choices. We make choices and the choices have consequences. So lesson number one, Christian, you have to take responsibility for what, you're done, what you've done. Number two, you have to take responsibility for your healing, okay? Healing is a process. And we don't always get to choose the process that we take to get our healing, but we do, however, get to choose how long we stay in that process. And there's too many Christians today 
that have been walking around for years working out their healing because they're waiting on God to move. But I'm telling you, the, it says in Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, and I didn't give them that one, sorry. But Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, read, look it up. But this is where God gives us the charge to redeem the time for ourselves. He says, walk as the wise, redeeming the time. So you have to take first responsibility for your choices. And that's where I was, ugh, I didn't want to. I was upset because I, it, it was my pastor. I was led wrong. I was not led correct. All these thoughts going through my, through my mind because I didn't want to take responsibility for the, mis- for the mistake, for the actions that I took. So I'm trying to blame anybody and everybody except for me. And finally got to the point where I was like, no, Christian, no one made you do anything. Like, dude, that one's on you. So lesson number one, I had to learn to take responsibility in order, in order to take authority over my life. So I drove back to Texas. I found myself, like, I, I got there a day early because I don't know how to count, apparently. And I didn't have anywhere to stay, so I was like, who do I call? My spiritual dad. I called Pastor Steve, and I'm like, hey, um, I need help. He calls a local pastor. They get me a room to stay, and I stay the night. The only request was, he said, he could stay here. He just has to come to church in the morning. And this one, this guy knew what was going on. So I go to church. I see all these students that I was, uh, that were my classmates before. They're like, why aren't you here? Why aren't you back? Like, what's going on? What's the deal? I heard this. I'm hearing this. And I'm like, and I lied to all of them. I was ashamed. Oh, dude, I was so ashamed. I didn't want anyone to know what was going on. So ashamed. So I go to sit in the back and head usher, someone who looks like Andre, but white. So like Mike Butcher. Yeah, it was Mike Butcher. So Mike Butcher, <laughs> this usher comes up to me, and he comes up to me, he says, Christian, and I go, and I'm sitting in the back of the thing, I'm like, yeah? He goes, uh, Pastor so-and-so has a spot for you up front. I go, I'm good back here. He goes, he told me to come get you. So I walk to the front. They seat me front and center. And that morning, I was, like, just praying because I didn't want to go there. And the Lord said, Christian, you're my prodigal. Okay, cool. And then I get there, and I'm sitting front and center. I'm sitting, like, right here where Pastor Becky's sitting. And he's preaching. Uh, I don't remember what the message was. I'm sure it was good. But he's preaching. And in the middle of a message, in the middle of a sentence, he stops and he says, Christian Waples, God is not done with you. What he started, he's going to finish. What, God, what the devil meant for evil, God is turning for good. He is not finished with you. He says, you're his prodigal. He's just getting started. And I'm weeping. Shortly after, obviously, I catch the flight, make it out here. I hang out with my buddy Alex. And that started the, the journey to move to San Diego. So I, around this time, I found myself really uh, fixed on a certain number of scriptures. If you've ever read Luke 15, there's three different parables that Jesus tells. He tells the parable of the coin where a woman loses her coin. She finds it puts it back in the purse, throws a party. Uh, shepherd loses his sheep. The sheep wanders off. He goes, he finds it, puts the, shepherd, uh, puts the lamb on his, on his uh, shoulders, walks back to the 99 because he left them before. And then there's the, the story of the, the lost son or the prodigal son where the son demands his inheritance from his father. He goes off, spends his money on wild living, blows all the money. And then in all of his efforts to get back, he, the father meets him on the road and wraps him in a hug. He puts a ring on his finger, puts new clothes on his back, and he throws a party for everyone to come celebrate his, his son who was lost, but now he's found. And one of the things that I, that I realized reading this story is 
The coin belonged to the purse before it went missing. The sheep belonged to the flock before he wandered off. The son belonged to the house before he spent all of his, his father's money and, and, and really renouncing the, the, the sonship that he had to go live his own life. The coin belonged to the purse. The sheep belonged to the flock. The son belonged to the house. And the father met him on the road and all of his efforts to run back to his dad didn't even want to be a son. He wanted to be a servant in his house. The father meets him on the road. He gives him this whole spiel about, I've sinned against you and God and da, 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 da. In the middle of his, the father's just like, someone give this man a ring. Give this man a coat. Like, I love him. Then my son was lost, but now he's found. Jesus wasn't talking to sinners. He wasn't talking to heathens, Gentiles, people that weren't in the church. He was talking to the church. Like, he was talking to me. Like, I was in the fold. I was in the ministry. I was in it. I threw all of it away. I lost every friend that I had, so I thought he was talking to me. The coin didn't do anything but get lost. The sheep didn't do anything except wander off. The son couldn't even get back on his own. Maybe you got lost. Maybe you wandered off. Maybe knowing exactly what you were doing, you decided, I don't want that. I'm going to go do this thing. Maybe that's you. I'm here to tell you, y'all, it's all on Jesus. He's the only one that makes us worthy. Now, (laughs) so 2016, I ended up moving to to San Diego. And this is where I found this church. Uh, It's where I realized that I had two friends that still loved me, even through my mess. And I'd be a miss again if I didn't thank uh, Mr. Alex and Isabel as well for you guys loved me knowing exactly what I was coming out of. I learned another really important lesson at this point. I had to call the, the people that I'd hurt. And in calling them, taking responsibility for everything that I did, I, I called the husband. First, I called my spiritual father because that, I figured, would go a little easier. So I called him, and he forgave me. He's like, buddy, I love you, and I'm so glad to hear that you're in a good church. You got people that love you. And then I called the husband, and I just, I had no idea how this was going to go. I was like, look, man, I'm so sorry. I take responsibility, blah, 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 blah. He cuts me off the same way the father did in the story. He says, buddy, I forgave you a long time ago. Like, I love you. Um, I've been praying for you. I'm so glad that you're in a good place. We're doing great. Which brings to this point, in Joel, there's a scripture that says that God is the redeemer of all things. Maybe you're in that place. Maybe someone's made a misstep in your relationship. Nothing is irredeemable for God. I'm telling you, I've witnessed it firsthand. Like nothing is irredeemable for God. So along with taking responsibility before I could take authority, I had to learn to allow people to love me back to the feet of Jesus. I had to learn to receive the love and the grace of God all over again. The Bible says that it's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. He says that that his grace teaches us to deny all ungodliness. The grace of God is not to be used so that you can sin. In fact, the grace of God empowers you to learn how not to do that thing. That's the grace of God. 
The love of Jesus doesn't, doesn't make you escape from all of the consequences of your actions, but it does bring you back to the Father's heart. And in this place, I had to learn that I had to plant myself. You plant yourself because uh, the Bible says in, well, in Colossians 2, 7, it says, let your roots grow down in him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Find your people. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Who knows what you're going through? Because if nobody does, that's not a place to be. You need people in your world. And church, we, we have enough patience. We have to have enough patience and grace to love people back to the feet of Jesus. People are struggling. People are hurting. Just because someone walks through those doors not looking like they've got it all together, that's okay. And they might not have it together for the first six months, maybe even the first couple of years that they're in this church, but it's not our job to clean a person. It's our job to love them to the feet of Jesus and let Jesus do the cleaning for us. I had friends with me that, were, that loved me enough to correct me as well, keep me accountable. That's important. And it's important to be that friend. Just because someone's not living the life that, that you agree with, maybe it's your responsibility to help get them back on track. With boundaries, I will say. But it's God's intention for us to rise above it. And I had to learn that sin is sin. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how long you've been involved with that sin, but sin is sin, and we've got to stop, and I had to stop making excuses for my sin, but more importantly, I had to learn that it's my job to work to get Jesus what he paid for, what he's owed. Jesus was the innocent lamb slain once and for all. Doesn't matter if my sin is worse or less than yours. There's no such thing. Sin is sin. Doesn't matter whether you, you've lied, you cheated, you've committed adultery, it doesn't matter what you've done. Like, sin is sin, but Jesus is so much bigger than that. The Bible says that, where's the scripture? It's so good. <laughs> ah, we'll find it another time. Thank you. Romans 5.19. There it is. Just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man that many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. So whatever you've, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, y'all, Jesus is so much bigger than that. And once I got my healing and I learned to take responsibility, I learned to receive the love and the grace of God again. I learned to plant myself and allow people to speak into my life, pastors, friends, leaders alike. I, uh, I took a moment and the Lord had me write something down. And I'm going to read this thing for you. But uh, this is where I found myself back in that season where I was 
suicidal. I was guilt-ridden. I was shame-ridden. I was at the lowest point in my entire life. But I believe that this is something that, that we can find ourselves in. And going back to that opening scripture, Jesus was sitting at a table with all of these different disciples, with all these different backgrounds, all these different mistakes represented at the table. Knowing exactly what was going to happen, he still was intent on fulfilling his purpose. So I'm going to read this, and they're going to play some music behind it. I was there when he washed Peter's feet. I watched as he sat each of us down, removed our sandals, and filled the basin. First, he called John. He emptied the water, refusing to use what was tainted to cleanse the next. Then James, Andrew, Philip, Matthew, Thomas. Yes, even doubting Thomas. His care for each one was equal to the rest. From the cutting, cussing sailor to the one who would later lay his head on Jesus' chest. I saw him feed 5,000. I saw him heal the sick. I was there when he walked on water and brought sight to a blind man using nothing but dirt and his own spit. He never went a day without kindness. He was never rushed. He was never amiss. He never once made me feel less than the others, yet, yet I betrayed my friend with a kiss. It's best that I don't get ahead of myself, I don't want, I, but I want to tell my side of the story tonight. I'm not an author or a philosopher or anything like that, so this is the only letter that I'll write. But you won't see this with the 66 others. There's no chapter or verse to be found. My letter isn't one of correction or encouragement. No one may ever even read this. My words may never give birth to sound. Forever to suffer in silence while my flesh rots and is stripped by birds. And if you haven't caught on, my name's Judas. And, uh, and these are my final words. Forever I'll be painted betrayer. And I guess that's fair and all. But really what hurts me the most is when he looked at me, betrayer is not who he saw. I joined his group three years ago and my life was never the same. I watched the hurt healed, the dead being raised, strength given to the lame. I saw him moved with compassion and a recipient I'd even become. I'd make a mistake or intentionally steal, but he never made me feel wrong. He would correct, direct, and instruct me and encourage me to do what was right. And with all the love and mercy he showed me, I still did what I did that night. I was in a bind and scared that Peter might find out what I did. And he'd kill me if he knew that I took from the purse. I thought I had no choice, so I knew I had to act quick. And I've seen Jesus escape the Pharisees hundreds of times before. It didn't matter the circumstance. If he did it then, he'll do it once more. Just one more time to make things right. Just one more deal to be had. I just need to, make, just need to talk to the right people and add 30 pieces of silver to the bag. I had it all worked out. I set up the meeting. But first, dinner with my friends and my teacher. The Last Supper, as it will be rehearsed. He broke the bread and poured the wine, then he gave a peculiar speech. He talked of his blood and his body and then commanded us all to eat. He looked me right in the eyes as he spoke of the one that would betray him and everyone else was so self-focused they didn't even notice in all the mayhem. Not me, said one of the others, and the phrase, and the phrase just bounced around. Now do what you're gonna do, but go quickly, he said. So I left without making a sound. I mean, did he know what I was doing? If he did, he must know how it ends. I mean, certainly not in handcuffs. He knows I would never truly betray my best friend. I made the deal and balanced the bag, but there was just one more thing to be done. Lead them to a garden where they can try and arrest God's only begotten son. I saw him, walked over, and I kissed him. But something was different this time. He looked at me in anguish. He's tired, as if he hadn't slept at all that night. 
I saw the sweat like crimson, his body shaky and worn. We're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am who you're looking for. And with a mighty blast, the power of God struck all the soldiers to the ground. But he didn't move. He didn't run. Jesus, why didn't you run? This wasn't supposed to happen like this. It wasn't supposed to end this way. He just waited to be arrested. He didn't even try to escape. They took him before a secret council and then a pilot after that. And I tried to return my blood earnings, but they wouldn't take the bag. So I threw it at their feet and ran. I wanted no part of this, but the deed was done. His fate was sealed and I sealed it with my own kiss. I watched as they stripped his clothing and chained him to a post. He took so many lashes with a whip laced with metal and bones. And he cringed with every beating. He never gave sign of defeat. His flesh being torn to pieces. That's when our eyes meet. Like I said, what hurts the most is that he never saw the betrayer. I looked at him as his blood was pouring out and his eyes said, I'm the forgiver. Why did you look at me like that? Why did you grin as you bleed? Don't you know what I've done to you? Don't you see what I see? I was there when you washed Peter's feet. and You also washed mine too. You removed my sandals just like the others as if it were just me and you. And when you broke the bread and shared it, I was amongst the brothers. And as Peter, James, and John ate with you, I also ate with the others. And knowing what, I would, what would become of me, you let me share in your kindness. I ate with you, slept next to you. You gave me everything, yet all I could give in return was blindness. I could see, but never saw the truth of what was being said. You spoke of real forgiveness, but I repaid your gift with death. So in my final hour, I'm only met with regret. I don't wish to be heard. I don't deserve that honor, but I do pray that people would forget. Forget my name and mark me no more as the one who betrayed our Savior. I'm a monster. I'm not a monster. I'm just a stupid man who never deserved his favor. And if my name you won't forget, and betrayer is the label that you choose, then not for my sake, but for others to come, remember, he washed my feet too. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's a lesson that I had to learn. I was so low, I wanted to end everything. I thought that all of my goals in ministry, all of the, all the accolades that I had acquired up to that point were done. I had to learn to receive a love that had no condition, a grace that could overcome anything. And the Lord spoke something to me at that point in my life, he said, Peter denied me three times, but he gave the first altar call that brought 3,000 people to Christ. Paul persecuted Christians, yet he went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament, and he brought this gospel to all of Asia. Can you imagine what I would have done with, G G with Judas? Christian, can you imagine what I'm going to do with you? Your story isn't over. It's just started. Jesus had so many disciples with so many backgrounds, whether you see yourself as the liar, the cheat, the adulterer, the sexually immoral, alcoholic, addict, whether you're the abuser or the abused, right or wrong, dirty or clean, shameful, guilty, living well, or fighting to keep your head above water, he is the innocent lamb that was slain once and for all. Jesus died for all of us, whether you've got your life all put together 
or maybe things aren't going the way that you thought they should be going. Maybe you find yourself at a place where you're like, how did I get here? That's my story. Jesus brought me out of the, the biggest mess I ever could have made for myself. And now I'm surrounded by a church and people that love me. They love me back to the feet of Jesus. They taught me how to take responsibility for both my wrongs and my healing. They helped me realize that none of that stuff matters. It's just Jesus. So if you would join me in this, if, if everyone would bow their head and just close their, close their eyes. Wherever you see yourself, whether you're in the middle of a mess, maybe you're where I was specifically, maybe things happened to you when you were younger, maybe you were the one who hurt somebody else. I'm telling you, sure, our decisions do bring consequences, but with God, nothing is impossible. He loves you. He says you're redeemable. He says you're lovable. You're capable of anything that God has called you to do. So if you've, but the first step is if you've never accepted Jesus into your life, that's the first step. Maybe you're the, the coin that got lost, the sheep that wandered off, the son that walked away. It's as simple as this. Yes, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. So if that's you and you've never accepted Jesus into your life for the very first time, would you do me the honor of, of raising your hand so I can pray with you? I'm gonna count to three, and if that's you, just put your hand in the air. One, Jesus loves you. There is no sin too great. His hand is not too short to heal and to save. Two, everything that he went through, the stripes that he bore, the crowns on his head, the cross on his back, it was for you. Three, if that's you, would you please raise your hand so I can pray with you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome. Beautiful. I'll give it just a minute. Now with every head bowed, every eye closed, we can't do this on our own once we walk out of these doors, so why would we expect to do it alone when we're in here? We're all gonna pray a prayer together. The Bible says that if you believe that Jesus died on the cross and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's that simple. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's not a dude with a microphone that gets you saved. It's the Jesus that we pray to. It's the God that we serve. So if everyone could just repeat this after me, say, Jesus, I receive you. I receive your forgiveness. I recognize that I don't have it all together. But I believe that you died for me, that you were raised back from the dead, and you had me seated next to you. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for redemption. And help me to love others the same way that God has loved me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com. 
or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.